1: Welcome in. This is the Tuesday Not So Deep Dive episode on Chit Chat Money. We're talking Toast today, recent IPO. I will, a little spoiler, this may be the most expensive stock we've ever talked about. Uh, we talked about Doximity. That was pretty expensive. There goes Brad. half our listeners. Well, no, I think some people like expensive stocks. So we're going to talk about the business. It's still a fascinating one. Brad, you chose this. Have you experienced Toast before? And why'd you pick it for this episode?
0: No, so we, we did a show on um, Olo a few months back and I ended up doing a long write up on it and um, entering a position I've been adding to it. So um, the curiosity really just came from wanting to understand the competitive landscape in a more holistic manner. And, and Toast is certainly not, not a direct overlap to Olo, pretty, pretty little overlap, but there is some overlap to talk about. So, so um, that, that, that's how that motivated that decision um, to, to do Toast.
1: Right. And if you're, and now let me try to get some listeners back. If you're interested in square, if you're interested in, uh, I never know how to say it Pfizer Pfizer, uh, which owns Clover. And if you're interested in Olo, this is a toast kind of compete with them and we'll kind of discuss that more and i'm going to let ryan introduce the company but first i need to talk about our sponsor for the tuesday not so deep dives potential multi the aim of the potential multi service is to find stocks that can go up 10x over the next 10 years or compound at 26 per year and potential multi track record has been stellar so far you've heard us talk about their picks octa at 64 dollars a share square at 75 a share they have at the time of this writing a long list of picks, uh, but there's only there was only 23, and I think there's probably slightly more now. Probably, you know, yeah, I'm just guessing. I don't know for sure, but you know, Chris is just awesome. We've had him on the show before, and he always is keeping up with the community, writing about all this stuff. Brad, did you have something to add to or no?
0: Yeah, just just to just to continue praising Chris a little bit. You know, Fintwit is a very loud, noisy, scary, intimidating place sometimes. And he's just a very calm, cool, collected voice w- within all of this. Within all of this, that I just no, no matter. I mean, he 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 has mastered the divorce the, the stock performance from company performance, and and I, I really identify with that and respect his work.
2: You know, I think I know why he's at less in the weeds on Twitter and so kind of uh, uh, always level headed. It's because he's on the European time zone. Exactly, so he's got a total advantage because they don't have to get all warped up into the uh, the stock market hours over here. I'm telling I you. take
1: it all back. <laughs> yeah, it's a long-term advantage for Chris, if you're listening. Uh, yeah, we love your service. Uh, there are several portfolios each month. Chris shows what he would add and build to a portfolio over time. So it's not just one pick, set it and forget it. There's tons of stuff, but let's wrap things up. If you want to become a multi, you can go to Seeking Alpha and look for From Growth to Value. Google it, you'll find it there or go to at from value, no capitalizations on Twitter. All right, Ryan, you want to introduce Toast.
2: Yeah, so I'll go. I'm just going to read the first line of their S1. Toast is a cloud-based end-to-end technology platform purpose-built for the entire restaurant community. All right, it is what most people know it as. is probably just a restaurant point of sale system. They are a point of, like, think of the square seller ecosystem, except this is catered really towards, just restaurants, at least for the time being, um, and so the value really isn't on the customer side. The value is on the restaurant side, where there's sort of this back end suite of software solutions designed to help operate the restaurant. And so they categorize this uh, that the whole platform into three different sectors. So there's subscription services financial technology solutions and platform services. So the subscription services include point of sale, restaurant operations, digital ordering and delivery, marketing and loyalty and team management. There are a whole bunch, I'm not gonna get into every single one, but there are a whole bunch of basically different solutions on the back end that a restaurant can use, whether it's to manage like uh, team hours, uh, have marketing programs with returning customers or anything like that um and then the financial technology solutions this is the integrated payment processing and financial technology products financial technology products includes financing solutions and i believe a loan solution where let's say you need whatever ten thousand dollars to get through
1: whatever yeah they they were doing working capital loans uh and i was reading the s1 i was like okay that's interesting very similar to square capital all the other ones like this that's kind of cool however they had a disclosure that is less than 1% or only 1% of financial technology revenue right now so it's tiny okay even if they're hyping that up
2: and then the last one is platform services so this includes reporting and analytics e-commerce and their api partner ecosystem they also have a bunch of there's like these are even bigger groupings of different solutions that are within them so there's different like message when your order's ready, like just more, these things are really comprehensive and it really helps an entire restaurant operate. And so the other thing, the API slash partner ecosystem, that's to help build all the technology solutions into a single place, because they said that was the big hiccup when they first started. And there's a lead into my history was a lot of the restaurants that they went to, the operators would say, we were up till 1am calling or trying to get our systems figured out with our eight different technology providers um, so we just want it to be all in one place and that's really what you can do with the Toast operating system or the Toast uh, POS, which is not a piece of shit, it's a point of sales. Um, but a little more about the history, I guess. The idea for Toast was originally conceived over a meal at a local restaurant, I don't know, that sounds a little too perfect, uh, by Steve Ferdet, Aman Narong, and Jonathan Graham. Sorry if I'm getting that middle name wrong. Um, But the three of them met as employees at another software company. That company was eventually acquired by Oracle. So they left to start their own thing. Uh, And when they started, they asked, how do we build a mobile app that can streamline the payment experience at restaurants? Apparently, the first attempt was just a plain mobile app, and it failed miserably, according to the founder's letter. Um, And so they kind of had to restart from square one. And they went to restaurants and said, and just basically went door to door asking, how can we you know, what, what do you need to kind of help? What kind of technology solution? What are your problems? Um, and so they kind of did that boots on the ground type research and that helped them move away from just purely a mobile app to a full point of sale system that connects all those different technology solutions that I talked about. And then that was ultimately what they decided to go with. They added restaurants one at a time, trying to grow their customer base today. It's 48,000 locations, which is pretty big. Um, and is it then, for,
1: uh, maybe I miswrote something down. It's 48. I had 47, or is it whatever? Something around there.
2: On the S1, it said 48. 48. Okay. okay. I must
1: have rounded down or something.
2: But they've had lots of funding rounds as well. Um, they went public in September of this year. So they're brand new to the public markets. I don't even think they've had a public quarter yet.
1: Yeah, less than. Less than a month, Good I enough. think. Yeah, it had, it had to be. Um, all right, LA Industry Landscape Competition, very simple here, very easy to understand. There are 860,000 restaurants in the United States, and according to this S1, they estimate there are 22 million worldwide. I don't have any TAM numbers, but you can really extrapolate very easily their realistic opportunity from the 48,000 locations they are serving right now. Unless they come up with new business lines, it's not like they're going to have different restaurants that are doing, you know, it's not like they started with all the restaurants that have minimal dollars flowing through there. On average, they're going to have the same dollars flowing through there. So, you know, it's going to be similar. Competitors, like we said before, Square, Clover, Par Technologies, Olo. Some of them are competing in just small parts of that business. The main competitors would probably be Square and Clover, I would think, because the point of sale solution is the most important part of this business right now. Ryan, you have something?
2: I'd even go on to say that within the Square seller ecosystem, there is one, there are, or there's a set of solutions called Square for restaurants. So that's probably like... Yeah. a more focused competitor within
1: it. Yeah. And I guess Wix has something with that too. Although as someone who knows Wix well, that is a tiny part of their business. Other incle- competitors though, I would include anyone that is doing management software, any sort of software technology for restaurants, because the whole thing like Ryan was outlining is they want any sort of technology solution a restaurant would want or need. They want to offer that. So even something like QuickBooks, back office stuff, HR, payroll processing, you know, any any sort of that stuff, uh, they're competing with them as well. All right, Brad, do you want to hit the management and ownership of this business?
0: Yeah, let's do it. So, so Chris Comparado is the current CEO. He was hired in 2015 and he previously, interestingly came from the world of consulting with Acquia and Endica. And as Ryan um, just very recently told me, um, all three co-founders came from that consulting firm. So there's a little bit of a connection there. Uh, but Stefan Ferdet is uh, currently a co-president and one of the co-founders of the company. He was the CEO from 2011 to 2015. Um, before he became just just a co-president and took a little bit more of a back seat, um, he's he- held and I quote various roles at Oracle. Nothing too specific there, but um, re- relevant experience for sure. El- Elena Gomez is I-, I would say the superstar of the group. She's been the CFO since May 2021. She was she came from Zendesk as as the former CFO there. She's a senior yeah. VP of finance and strategy and go to market development at Salesforce. And she's on the, um, she, she has a board seat with Smartsheet and PagerDuty. Um, so really, really impressive stuff. Aman Narang is the other co-founder. He's still on board as the COO. He's been the COO since June of 2021. So um, very, very recent transition there. Um, he was a previous and current board member. So just, just a, an interesting note, these executives have, have moved in and shaken their way into board seats and out of board seats multiple times. Um, not a red flag, but just something I found kind of interesting. Uh, he was a product manager at Oracle before embarking on this Toast project. The most notable board of director member is the former C- is a former CFO of Salesforce and Autodesk. Shout out Autodesk for uh, the chit chat money team. There we go. <laughs> and then, so after the offering ownership data, fortunately they amended their S one to give us uh, more accurate information. So none of these insiders have any class A shares at all they'll when they when they convert their class B shares or sell them they'll be converted to class A shares and and then subsequently sold um, so Comparado has 2.28 percent of Class B shares and 2.27 percent of the voting power just to give you an idea of how um, predominantly uh, a- aggregated the voting power is within Class B. So moving on from that the co-founders together, on about 12% of the combined voting power, and then all executives on their own on about 15%. So that the ownership is really between insiders, it's the two co-founders and it's Comparato. Um, moving on to some notable funds, these are all pre-IPO funds that, that were on board um, before the company went public. And, and we know that because their entire stake is also class B. Um, but the pre-IPO funds such as Bessemer Venture Partners, and, and there are others that, that I didn't really recognize the name of, um, own roughly fifty 53% of the class B voting power.
1: No, yeah, that's a great overview. And I think Gomez was probably brought on to get ready for the IPO when she think they kind of were redoing this executive team um, to get ready for the public markets. I don't know for sure, but that, that would make a lot of sense. Right. And uh all hit valuation. Going to keep this one simple. Market cap's $27.3 billion. Ticker is T-O-S-T. Pretty simple. But uh trailing 12-month gross profit is 107. i'm actually trailing i'm a 12
2: married, month gross profit multiple
1: multiple yeah multiple price to gross profit trailing 12-month price to gross profit of 107. i'm actually remembering now global e online which i think we did with you brad Was at 200 times, so this is not the most expensive stock we've ever done, but I think it takes the cake for number two. However, there is also 61.9 million stock options outstanding on 500 million shares, so dilution is going to come in pretty heavy over the next few years unless the stock totally tanks. Uh, And 88% of the shares are currently in lockup, so over the next six months of the IPO, that this is the type of scenario that can make the stock trade very wildly. The valuation feels a bit. Um, you know, artificial in something like this. We'll probably discuss this more in the second half, but Ryan, do you want to hit earnings?
2: Yeah. They, they uh, all hit 2020 earnings and then they've had the last six months uh, as a private company as well. So they added that, uh, but they had $820 million, $823 million in 2020 revenue. That was growing 24% versus the prior year. However, the last six month revenue, so the, the, the most recent six months revenue was growing at 105% year over year. So there was clearly a slowdown during COVID, which shouldn't come as much of a surprise. However, out of that, there was a lot of adoption from companies that used to, or restaurants that used to rely on legacy systems. Um, The 2020 gross margin was 17%. Shocking that 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 caught me off guard because the first line kind of had them as a software as a service company. And that's not something that typically, uh, Goes hand in hand with a software as a service company, um, but the the uh, that that's why I think gross profit multiples are probably the more important proxy than revenue here. And then in 2019, gross margin was a little over nine percent, so it is improving. And actually, it was 22 percent in the most recent six months. So from 2019 to the most recent six months, they've got 13 percentage points of gross margin improvement. That's really solid. Um, it looks like they are starting to demonstrate some of the operating leverage that might be in the business. They have pretty large operating losses right now, though, so there isn't really any gap profitability metrics to look at, and any metrics that I point out would just be belaboring over unprofitability. Right now, they obviously uh, they're reinvesting heavily, which they should. And so, uh, however, latest six months they did generate almost forty million in free cash flow, which was about five and a half percent free cash flow margin. Granted, there was a lot of stock based compensation, which actually was uh more significant than free cash flow so if you add that back there was no free cash flow uh but yeah j- there i guess some of the other positive points they have a net revenue retention rate above 110 for each year since 2015 so it seems like the customers are locking in uh, at least the ones that stay around so- uh, do you want
1: to explain what that is briefly to, uh, just in case any listeners don't know
2: I'm not sure if they changed the definition for, or changed how they defined it, but it's just revenue from existing customers year over year. So if they took the customer base that existed in 2018, how much revenue were they generating from that customer in 2019 on average? And then, so it's basically a 10% improvement across their existing customers. And that doesn't even include any new customers, like mean, basically getting that definition, right?
1: That is correct. Yeah. Sometimes the definitions can going to include churn and sometimes they can't, but in general, it's revenue growth from existing customers. Customers. all right, Brad, do you want to hit balance sheet and liquidity?
0: Yeah, just just focusing uh, or just zoning in on that net revenue retention rate at one hundred and ten percent that that was that was also kind of surprisingly low for, for me at least um, some some of these really high growth um, companies that are just devouring market share. I mean you I mean all those is above 120%. percent um, I'm just thinking of other software companies in my portfolio that are above one hundred and thirty percent. Um so 110% sounds uh, like like a really gaudy number. Um it's not it was it was it was, a, it was a, just a t- yeah, a little bit low for me um that that they're only realizing 10% more um, per location or per or per client but but that that maybe just hints at the fact that their clients aren't really adding locations um, because they're small businesses um, right. so so just just something to keep an eye on I'll I'll stop I'll stop uh ranting about that but um, balance sheet and liquidity. So, so they raised eight hundred million dollars from the IPO. Uh, pro forma cash is about one point one billion, or pro forma, pro forma cash in equivalents, I should say, is one point one billion. Um, they had uh, so so they had some long term debt on the balance sheet before the IPO. They did take a, a fifty million dollar debt extinguishment charge to settle all of these convertible notes, and it looks like the one hundred seventy six million in um, long term debt that they had was paid off um, right around the time of the IPO. So there was a $12 million interest expense from the first six months of 2021, but but we have to keep in mind that it just took this charge for extinguishing the debt. It wiped off this long-term debt off the balance sheet, according to its most recent um, financial statement. So it looks like that interest expense is going to go down to zero, um, at least theoretically. Uh, They do have $330 million available in a senior credit facility. That remains untapped. There's a couple hundred million in, in additional warrants, um, but considering that the enterprise value, it's really not, not anything to focus on. Um, it has, it, it's, this isn't, as we've kind of highlighted, this is not the most profitable um, software company, early young software company we've done. So it has leaned pretty heavily on convertible notes um, to finance a lot of this growth. Um, it hasn't really been able to, to lean on um, positive free cash flow aside from a bump from really aggressive stock-based compensation in connection with the IPO to fund these operations. So so the balance sheet is in good shape now with that cash raise, um, which was really important for them. Um, but anytime there's a company that's that's burning through cash, again, without the stock-based compensation benefit, um, it, it, is, it is something to focus on a little bit more.
1: Right. Let's get over the balance sheet. All right, let's hit the ad break and we'll get back for the second half of the show.
0: This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Here you are, miles from home, and ready to start your vacation. Good thing you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. They have free high-speed Wi-Fi to stream all your favorite movies. And in the morning, get fresh waffles with their free bright side breakfast. Or squeeze in a workout at their fitness center. Either way, you're ready to conquer the day. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you triumph. Book your stay at LQ.com.
1: All blocked. Thanks to advanced security included with Cox panoramic Wi-Fi. Advanced security must be enabled in the panoramic Wi-Fi app. Restrictions apply. Okay. Welcome back. Next up, let's do some anecdotal evidence. Brad, we'll start out with you.
0: Yeah, I've never noticed uh, a toast logo in a restaurant or anything. I'm sure it's just because I wasn't paying close enough attention. But I mean, I have noticed Square's POS system a lot. So um, so I don't, I don't know. Um, no anecdotal evidence for me. All right, Ryan.
2: Yeah, I've definitely I've seen some. I think everyone's if you're a restaurant goer in America, you've probably come across one, at least at some point. Uh the I don't have any valuable anecdotal evidence because pretty much all the value is on the restaurant side. The customer interface is probably pretty uniform across all these point of sale systems.
1: Yeah, that's the same with me. I've seen it, it seems fine, it works well. Um I don't know. The point of sale part is a commodity. So it's kind of hard to tell. I'd love to
2: ask if I were interested, I would ask restaurant operators how they feel about it. I'd probably be that annoying investor that goes into a restaurant and be like, oh, you know, what do you think about toast or whatever? Yeah. But it's useful information. Like if it really helps them out and there's some sort of value differentiator on that side, that's obviously pretty important.
1: Yeah. All right. Let's move on to future growth opportunities. Brad, what do you have for us?
0: Yeah, so I'm actually borrowing the future opportunity that I used when we did our OLO episode. So when I think on-demand commerce and and uh, heightening the quality and, and the efficiency of that process, I think of cannabis whole um, wholeheartedly, um, and the twenty percent compound annual growth rate we're going to see for the next decade, and the tens of billions of dollars that states are already doing in legal sales. Um, it just seems like to me. Um, and I interviewed with Noah Glass a couple weeks ago, and he was pretty hesitant when I brought this up. So maybe. Maybe I'm I'm just uh, maybe maybe my um, maybe this is a little misguided, but I I, I really think like cannabis for these companies is, is a very natural extension for their business, especially considering the current technology solutions that exist here absolutely stink. That they're not good. Um, they're, they're not intuitive. Uh, they're not slick. Um, so a company like Toast coming in and 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 taking advantage of of the low hanging fruit here makes a lot of sense to
1: me. Yeah, I wonder what. So they, they talk about how their focus on restaurants is an advantage, but I wonder if they're limiting themselves by not saying, okay, we can go to cannabis, we can go to uh, not grocery stores, but something like a you know, liquor store or something would work well too. I, I mean, cannabis would definitely, it seems like it's very similar and I maybe even simpler.
2: We might be underestimating some of the social friction in switching oh. to cannabis also from maybe an investment standpoint. Uh, a yeah, pair sometimes pair like that can sometimes be bad for an investor base. Do not you think?
1: I I don't know. I wouldn't really think about that.
2: What about all? I mean, it's possible. But if you were a shareholder and they chose to go this route
1: as a new be business be line,
2: concerned?
1: No, I would be. I would be pleased. I don't know, Brad. What do you think about that?
0: Uh, I I just. Uh, I mean, I'm maybe not the best person to ask to just because uh, I'm, I'm more, maybe more comfortable with this space than a lot of other people. Um, so, so I'm not sure.
1: But, yeah, I don't know, Ryan, do you want to move to your future growth opportunity?
2: Sure. The, yeah. Um, I mean, most of the stuff that would help them grow, they've already sort of done. I think selling more... Uh, more of their solutions, uh, more of their restaurant solutions is pretty much the main growth driver, and that's going to drive sort of the no, the net revenue retention rate over time. Um, but the one that I have here is acquisitions, and more specifically, using the using stock to make these acquisitions. Um, they actually mentioned not. Using stock, but they mentioned acquisitions in their S one, which I found a little bit surprising. They said we intend to selectively explore inorganic product and technology growth opportunities to build out our portfolio and strengthen our ecosystem advantage. I I thought honestly, just using stock and acquire OLO,
1: I double the price. They do double the price, <laughs> i'm of OLO's market cap. If
2: yeah, it, it seems toast. I think even if you ask the executives today, they'd probably assume this is a very richly valued. Uh, price, why not? You know, yeah,
1: well that time. We yeah, provide. that seems a little, you know, probably not realistic because OLA has to be a seller. Uh, but they have made two small acquisitions. They made one recently. I forget, it wasn't very sizable, but I think they might do a lot of bolt on ones as well.
2: We'll see if, if that can see, work to help with the strategy. If you see those, uh, if you see the apps that
1: are in your partner ecosystem getting used a lot, maybe just keep buying <laughs> those. Keep, keep buying those. Well, if it's with stock, it's free, right? No. But uh, Close. Brad, Brad, what would you think if uh, Olo got acquired uh, at twice its market cap, which would be cheaper than what toast gross profit multiple is at, but would still be, you know, very expensive.
0: Yeah. I, so I'm, I'm not, I would never be upset with a hundred percent profit profit day. Uh, I mean, I, I, I do have really lofty expectations for Olo, but I mean, I, I who, who can be upset with that? But Ryan, I think the thing that makes most sense um, is that Toast has not, at least to date, had a lot of success uh, moving upstream to these larger uh, clients and brands that, that Olo has been really great at servicing. So, I mean, Toast is handling the mom and pop restaurants and Olo's handling the Subways and the Applebee's um, and, and the Fridays and, and the Carl's Juniors of the world. So, uh, just just opening the door inorganically to those uh to, to those to those kind of um, partnerships and relationships. I think Ryan's dead on that that would make a lot of sense for them.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. I'll hit mine and it kind of goes into what maybe they would do through acquisitions, but I think the more subscription add-ons would work or is gonna be beneficial if you look at their margins. This is uh, almost as important as financial technology. And it's growing pretty you know quickly. You can kind of tell, you know, the tech, the, the software that's going to be inside a restaurant is probably going to be pretty sticky. They have that net revenue retention rate that has been above hundred, 110% for six years. Like Ryan mentioned, I ha- I have a b- bit of a caveat because that is revenue. And I wonder how much of that has moved in gross profit. Maybe it's been even better because of the margin expansion, but I get concerned when a low margin business is telling, you know, net revenue retention, uh, but that number does lead me to believe that, you know, the restaurants they signed up in the past year, and I think they've doubled their restaurant count within, eh, I think a little over a year, but I think it was two years, maybe they've doubled their restaurant count. That gives me confidence that they will at least get, well, not, maybe not as good as some of the top software companies like Brad was mentioning, they can still get solid revenue growth from these non-point-of-sale services or just expanding the point-of-sale services from the existing restaurants and getting them to add on more of these software solutions. That seems like the only real real way they've kind of cornered themselves in and saying they're only serving the restaurant, you know, industry, and they already have all these products. So it seems like they just have to get it into the hands of the customers. Um, all right, highlights and lowlights, Brad. What did you like and dislike about this business?
0: Yeah. So, so the highlight here is I, I really think the restaurant space um, is underappreciated. It is unloved. So, so before the pandemic, for the first time ever. Um, Restaurant spend surpassed grocery spend. Um, Delivery and off premise was was the largest driver of that growth, and that's really exactly where where Toast is helping these companies proliferate. So I really do think they're in the right place at the right time. The COVID nineteen pandemic put a huge dent um, in that restaurant spend, but it's already it's expected to to bounce back extremely quickly and resurpass grocery spend next year. Um, so so I, I really do like the restaurant space. I don't like restaurant operators just because that's an extremely difficult business. But these ancillary plays that are uplifting and supporting um, these restaurant chains and, the, and these restaurant brands, I I really do think that that's a, a well placed niche. Um, but in terms of the low light, I, I don't like the reliance on hardware personally. Um, I I understand that they're doing it to 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 get in the door and 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 to upsell their their software, um, but. That, I mean that's why the margins stink and and when when not not to use valuation in the highlights and lowlights, but lower margins do not deserve premium valuations and this company has that um, so I guess I'm breaking the rule a little bit but uh, but that that's that's how I see the, the the low light right all right Ryan
2: so highlights for me I, I do think it's a pretty good business I like the uh, the the folks on the restaurants and I'd also say that they've demonstrated an ability to add locations. Maybe there was some low hanging fruit. Maybe there were uh, a few restaurants that just simply had legacy systems and needed to switch, but...
1: Well, think anecdotally. I th- I believe, I mean, about half of the ones I go to still have a pretty bad one. Wouldn't you think?
2: Yeah. But I imagine getting to 48,000 locations this quick shows that they must have a, a product that restaurants are eager to have. Yep. Um, and so obviously there is sort of a strong customer value proposition. My low light though, and you guys can correct me if you think this doesn't make any sense, but churn's pretty high in the restaurant business just because of failure rates. Um, And so there's gonna be sort of sustainably high installations
1: which means hardware revenue is gonna be pretty high. Um, yeah, I think that's true, and we should caveat though. This is for more of the individual restaurants that Toast is serving. So large right. chains have less.
2: Yeah. So if it's like Olos oh, are mostly franchises. These really aren't franchises. If you're going to the local restaurant, unfortunately, a lot of restaurants have high failure rates. If if that closes a new one opens, you go to try to sell it to them again, you better in, install the hardware. The hardware is a negative gross margin. So I'm worried mm. that maybe that negative gross margin hardware sticking around is kind of going to keep, keep, uh, keep the gross, gross margin levels down somewhat.
1: That is a good point. That is a very good point. I, 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 didn't, I didn't think about that. Um, all right, I'll hit mine highlights. I do think it's a good business model. They do have to sell like Ryan said, the hardware up front, they have the professional services that is a negative gross margin. And then, you know, um, the financial technology stuff is low margin, but pretty reliable. But I do love the software aspect of the business. I like that they're focusing on restaurants because if they just try to copy Square and Clover, eh, it's kind of hard to see how they would win kind of coming from the standing start. And I do think these type of products, like Brad was mentioning, are great businesses because of how sticky they are, High margins, uh, low lights. Though I'm not sure they are better enough to really like win customers from existing Square or Clover. Uh, what uh, people that use those products. It's Although, a- or you know, I understand though. If I was an SMB, I understand these products now because I've researched all these companies at this point. I would definitely use Toast if I was an SMB, but I don't think most. Small businesses, uh, you know, they're not reading the S1s. I don't know.
2: Yeah, yeah, they probably aren't. But I mean, think, think back to like 2017. If you go read a square uh, shareholder letter or an annual report from 2017 and you just focused on the seller ecosystem, you could say, how much would you be willing to pay for this? Now we're going to get to whether we hit more or less interested, but I think it's important. That's kind of a useful comp is to go back to that and say, how yeah. much we pay for that business. Cause you can see what the results have been. Now maybe toast is a little further ahead. Maybe the niche or the niche focus is better for them, but we'll see. Yeah. I would have, I would have thought this being such a commoditized product wouldn't, wouldn't have such good results because they've been able to grow.
1: Yeah. I. Well, the thing about the. I think there's switching costs. It's hard to to get commit someone to choose you over someone else. But once you're in, I feel like it's hard for a restaurant to switch. And that can be a benefit for someone that starts out early and is going against those really bad legacy solutions. Um, But I'll say lastly, before we move on to the end of the show, uh, last low light is I do not like their granting pace on options and RSUs. That was a huge turnoff. And it looks like, and I wasn't doing any actual math. But just kind of doing a little bit in my head from what I was reading on their granting pace and exercise pace, it seems like share dilution could be higher than five percent per year, which feels very aggressive to me, and that will be a huge headwind. Um, All right, bull case, Brad. What do you think you go right for? Excuse me for the stock.
0: Yeah. So I I talked about this a little bit, but they highlighted this pursuit of larger clients um, in 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 their filings and their in their roadshow and and how they're pitching this business Um, right now. Just Simple, quick arithmetic it looks like um, locations per client is below two, um, so they haven't found a lot of success in, in 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 realizing that objective. But but finding success there, I think, could be a really. I mean, it, it's tough to break into large brands, but but once you get there, it, it's a really easy way um, to seamlessly expand. I mean, just just going back to Olo, they're they're servicing Jimmy John's and Wingstop. So every single time a Wingstop opens up a new location, Olo's growing. And, and you don't get that same kind of um, that same kind of location growth with, with the SMBs who are pouring families pouring all of their resources into opening a restaurant or something like that. Um, so, so the bull case for me is that they, they find success in moving upstream and this under two locations um, per client moves precipitously higher, which not, not only will that be good for volume, but these larger clients are also inherently higher margin business for these types of clients. Um, which would be a very welcome tailwind for this company. All
2: right, Ryan. I have a hard time getting comfortable with any bull case here. It's just, I mean, so Toast has 48,000 locations as customers today. So apparently that's about, I think they estimated it at 6% of the U.S. restaurant market. If they got to 50% market share, assuming this similar average gross profit Per restaurant, they would be trading at a price to gross profit of 15 times. That's 50% market share. That's like a 7X increase, more than a 7X increase in their customer base. And that's still not a super cheap multiple.
1: And you're not pricing in share dilution.
2: Yeah. So it's hard to really, that doesn't seem like a, you're going to get great returns. And it's assuming a very rosy future.
1: Yeah. I'm going to go into mine. I'm going to be frank. I don't think there's a bull case unless they come up with an entire new, entirely new business line. They have to come up with something else because it just doesn't, it makes zero sense. I'm going to uh, I'm, I'm a, I am very internet. Whoa, whoa. International expansion. Whoa, we're coming. All right, don't worry. It's coming. Uh, but I think they have to make something else. The cannabis thing makes a little less sense, but that feels accretive. It's got to be something entirely new. Brad, oh, what do you got?
0: Yeah, maybe just, I mean, if if they can in this incredibly rosy, not super realistic scenario, eclipse fifty percent market share of their entire opportunity, you could almost introduce like a loyalty card or something to to have people um, using using the Toast brand and and getting points and saving and, and and whatever. But I I agree they need more, and I'm just kind of brain brainstorming, spitballing what that could look like beyond cannabis, because obviously that's an amazing opportunity.
1: <laughs> that no that that makes total sense. And I think Square realized that in 2015 and that was their vision for the Cash App. And now that's materializing. So toast having to compete with the Cash App who has the relationship with the existing Square sellers feels difficult, but I think that that does make sense. Uh all right, bear case. Um I think this one will be easy for all of us. Brad, what do you, what do you got?
0: Yeah. Um so Square sells their hardware at cost just like just like um just like toast does way deeper pockets um there there's a dozen of com- competitors like this offering pos solutions uh so so the bear case is there's nothing all that special here um and then combining that with a <laughs> hundred times gross profit <laughs> I, I don't know um but but the, the bear case is uh, lack of differentiation in an extremely crowded space
1: yeah no you kind of I think you put in more thought than me and Ryan because you actually went to the business part of it, and I like that. Square Square could definitely undercut them, and they'll be they're a lot larger, so they can be fine. Ryan, well, what's your bear case? Uh,
2: multiple compression is basically the the biggest worry if you're an investor here. Um, and if you don't, if you're like, oh, you know, you're just uh, buy quality, just not, sit tight, yeah. yeah. Then uh, let me ask you: Do you think it's going to trade at 100 times gross profit forever? I doubt it. And how long do you think it's going to take to get to a free cash flow yield of ten percent at the current price? I'd say that's it's two and a half billion in free cash flow right now. They're doing not
1: including share dilution. I will yeah. say that a third time.
2: Right now they're doing, I think, thirty-eight million. It's going to take at least ten years.
1: More, longer, longer, yeah.
2: And if, the reason, if here. you, but if you buy quality, if you have a super long time horizon.
1: I mean, your returns will be
2: (laughs) subpar. You might as well index, but.
1: Yeah. If you say, uh, if, yeah, for anyone that says, well, it's a good business, I'll buy at any price. I will buy the shares at 107 times gross profit and sell them to you for a thousand times gross profit. um, Yeah. If that makes sense. What what are the shares at today?
2: If if you were offered the shares, if you went and you're like, I'm going to buy toast at any price and someone offered you the shares for four times the current price. That's the only shares you could buy. You weren't allowed to buy them at your current price. Would you buy them?
1: Because yeah. that's buying them at any price. Yeah. No, I mean, I agree. Um, and the reason we say 10% free cash flow yield or 10% earnings yield is because, in our view, when you're buying a stock, you're, you're taking a stake to get the future cash from a business, um, and you're paying something for that. And if you're getting that 10% free cash flow yield, that means, at least on your cost basis, and that's how, what we're referring to, a 10% free cash flow yield on your cost base, that is a guaranteed 10% return per year if they can sustain that on your cost basis, and they can technically pay that out to shareholders. But no need to ramble on that. I'll hit my bear case. Let me do another scenario for you. If net revenue retention stays strong, and eventually they can do $500 million in gross profit from their current locations, which would be about double their 2012 twelve-month. I think over a decade that could be reasonable, but still a bit aggressive. And if they capture the entire U.S. market, I estimated that they would be doing around nine billion a year in gross profit. That is maybe what makes sense on their current market cap if you include share dilution.
2: If they were doing so 9 like, billion in gross profit,
1: probably it could be you could, it could be worth more. <laughs> we'll see what Not they're. We're com- see. I, I'm, I'm including the share dilution over that time period. I think. Especially with the, the churn on this stuff, I think there's high cost coming in. I don't know. We don't need to ramble more or less interested, Brad. What are your closing thoughts on toast?
0: Uh, yeah, less interested for me. Um, nothing super special about this business in my opinion. It seems like they do a lot of things pretty well, but they, uh, they are priced like they do everything extraordinarily well and, and I, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't see them differentiating themselves all that much from, from Square or from Clover, or from these other POS systems. And it just really feels like it's, it's going to be a, a race to zero in terms of who can sell, um, who who can sell this hardware more, more cheaply. Yeah. Who, who can sell this hardware more cheaply to, to add on these software functions. And in that scenario, I mean, Square wins, they have more money, they have more resources, they have more time, they have more brand awareness. So they win. Um, and, and that's kind of how, I sort of see this playing out. We're saying bull case; they have to get a ridiculous amount of market share, and I think Square is going to get a ridiculous amount of market share. So,
1: yeah, yeah. I mean, I will. I am very confident. There's no way they're stealing any sort of significant market share from Square or Clover from their existing clients. Yeah, Ryan, what are your what are your closing thoughts?
2: I'm, well, I'm less interested. I think that's clear. I think what we're what we should be talking about is the fact that the IPO process is completely broken. No one is. No one thinks this is a good price. Yeah. I don't know. I haven't seen anyone that had positive comments on Toast as an investment. It is. Yeah. This needs to be fixed, and it's happened with IPOs over and over and over. And when the lockup expires and all those shares get unlocked and they start getting sold, they're getting sold off eighty percent.
0: If this sold off eighty percent, I still might not be interested. Oh, it'd
1: be still very expensive. Brad, uh, you have something to add?
0: Yeah, I mean, just so so if you're for our viewers who are in love with toast business model and who feel really passionate about owning the company. I, I don't, first of all, I don't think you're crazy there. There's, there are a lot of things to like about this company, but just, just with company with organizations that, that come out of the gate flying like this does for me, the personal examples are lemonade and Olo and, and Duolingo. Just, I, I don't want to give advice, but for me personally, it makes a lot of sense to start as small as you possibly can with your initial purchase. By 10% of an, of a starting position, by 15% of a starting position, because you because we know that 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 turbulence is, is, is likely coming. And, and that just gives you so much more flexibility and, and so much more opportunity to, to add to add to these great companies at more realistic multiples and to bolster your, your returns over the very long term. So just just be careful inching into names like this. I don't I don't think it's crazy to want to own toast. I do think it's crazy to to invest 100 percent of a full position in toast today. Or even start with 0% right
1: now. That, yeah, I mean, That seems like a good position. It mean, yeah, I feel like this is even getting crazier than like a starter position, but I do, in general, I like that philosophy of, if you like it, I mean, the Molly Fool is the classic buy and third strategy, which I think makes sense most of the time. I'll um, close things out with mine. I am less interested. I think the business looks solid, but is so grossly overvalued, like both of you guys were saying. Just think about the dynamics with the lockup period 88 percent is locked up that will get unlocked within 180 days once that happens we're not oracles here but i mean you know what's going to happen i am very confident (laughs) that i mean just think about what you know like there's people are going to have to sell there's such a tiny float out there right now the supply is going to expand and the the price just it's going to drop i i I don't know what else there is to say who's Fine. No one is because it's eighty eight percent is locked up. That's the whole point. Happy uh, would no. I'm kidding. I'm totally kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Tech I don't know. Just it's just it's just short term traders. Maybe who knows. uh Either way, I think this is a fun episode, uh, and we're gonna do stock for next week. And it is my turn, I think, right? Because you chose that's Brad. You chose toast. Too. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're gonna do a fun one that everyone knows. Snap. Otherwise Ooh. known as the company that owns Snapchat. I don't think we've covered that either in a very, very long time. The business has evolved a lot. It is done, the stock has done extremely well. So I'd like to investigate that. See why we well, Brad, I don't know if you own it, but I'm a user. So you're a user, Ryan. I a uh Brad, I you own that at all? I am a social
0: media Mark Zuckerberg loyalist. So no, I do not own Snapchat.
1: <laughs> all right. Well, we're gonna all see why we missed out on this. Uh 10-bagger in front of our eyes, not to uh, not hate on our investments, but uh, yeah, that'll be in two weeks. Uh, so let's get to the disclosure here. Remember, we are not financial advisors. Anything we say on this show is not formal advice or recommendation. Ryan and I are general partners at Arch Capital. Arch Capital clients may hold securities discussed in this podcast. Thank you all for listening. We'll see you next time.